I appreciate some of the feedback I got from, from some people and some, some folks uh, passed on to me some profits that they were uh, enjoying or had found. And I have uh, sat through and gone through uh, a few of those anyway. But I do appreciate those who took the time to go out there and to, and to find some. But we are in the Christmas season. We are certainly looking at some of the gifts that God has given. And one that's probably not as well as understood is, uh, is this one. I, I don't know about you, but, but um, when the, the things that were going over here last week, it helped me. Whether it helped you or not, I don't know. But uh, I know it helped me. I actually had to go back through the whole tape and listen to the whole thing because there was a bunch of stuff in there that I said that I had no plan of saying. And I'm not going to tell you what those things were, but, <laughs> but there's a number of them and I wrote them down to make sure. I said, how, how did I say that? Because <laughs> sometimes the, there's, there's just stuff you do underneath the uh, teaching anointing that you don't get in the regular study. And I've known that for a long time and I, I draw off of that. And so um, I was wanted to make sure that I was, able, I was able to pull them off. And so when I remind you of those things, that you, you have them there. But the prophet is a gift from God. He is given to us to give us his perspective on situations, on crises, on decisions, or whatever it is that we face in life. And God has decided to speak to it and to give us a perspective that he has to help us in the decisions that we make. The word tells us to believe as prophets so we can prosper or basically so we can flourish or succeed in the things that they're spoken about. So, we put this question out there to you on the Facebook post. I'll put it to you here for those who didn't see it. How many didn't see the Facebook post? All right, it was posted yesterday and I posted it again this morning. So somehow, (laughs) we'll have to get them there, there to you. But it's up there twice. What constitutes us believing in the words of a prophet. If we are going to prosper, as it says in the word, if we're going to prosper by believing what his prophets speak, what constitutes believing? So we wanted to look at the word of God for this because in the word of God we can actually find the answer for these, these things. So as we were looking at the ministry of the prophet last week, the prophet is one of the primary defenses for the body of Christ against evil in the world. That is the primary, one of the primary defenses he's given us. We looked at some of the ways that the prophet's ministry actually, actually depresses or uh, keeps under control the, uh, the, the evil spirits or evil things that are going on. And we looked at a few examples of that. You may have uh, put that to your meditation and, and begin to think about some other places in Scripture where that's, that was the case. But the prophet... Most of the time a prophet speaks a message, it is about what is going to be, not what to do about it. A prophet speaks the message, it's what is going to be. So a prophet is to hear from God's, from God, words about what is going to be. That's the role of a prophet. Now a question was asked in a, in a prophet, uh, uh, difference between prophecy and uh, word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. And we'll get more into this as we get into those particular gifts. But understand this with a prophet. A, in order to operate in a prophet's ministry, you must operate more than the simple gift of prophecy. And so in that ministry, at least one of, if not both, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge is going to work inside of a prophet. 
in order to fulfill that ministry. You would be hard-pressed to function. In fact, I don't think you could function in the office of a prophet without the gift of the word of knowledge and the gift of the word of wisdom. Because in the ministry of a prophet, there's a lot of foretelling. There's a lot of telling of what is to be, what is coming. So you need to operate in those gifts in order for that to happen. A person operating the simple gift of prophecy, prophecy does not need to have the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is things that have happened already or are happening now. Word of wisdom are things that are to come. So you can certainly see where a word of wisdom is needed in the office of a prophet. Those things are not contained in the simple gift of prophecy. Though a person can operate in prophecy and also have some of those things going on, and just because you operate in those gifts does not mean you are in the office of a prophet. We did look at an example last week where one person operated in the office of a prophet and they were not identified as a prophet, even though there are other prophets that are around. So you could operate in the word of wisdom, you could operate in the word of knowledge and not be a prophet. So those gifts don't ensure us that you are operating in a prophetic ministry, but if you are in a prophetic ministry, you need to operate in those gifts. Does that make sense to you? Now, call, prophets will call attention to what you have not seen. Here we saw the example that the prophet came, bound up Paul with his hands, and there were other ministries there. There were other prophets there. There were other uh, evangelists. There were other teachers. There was uh, Paul. Of course, he was there. All his ministry team was there. No one knew this was the direction going in the realm of the Spirit. No one knew it. It was a surprise to all of them. So just because they were spiritual, just because they're mature, just because they have a, a walk with God and a very strong walk with God and were obviously strong in the Word, didn't mean that they know everything. So a prophet comes along to call attention to what's going on. This was a, a prophet operating in a prophet's ministry who came and he did this. Now there are flesh reactions to God-sent prophecies. And that was a God-sent prophecy about Paul but there were a lot of flesh reactions about it. Paul was the only one who stayed in the spirit. A lot of people, you know, got all upset and all, all water-eyed and uh, things like that. But uh, Paul says, why are you doing all this? Now we're going to go over to the passage of Scripture we pulled a verse from last week in Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is where it is taught that if you believe the words of the prophet, you'll prosper. But we're going to go, de- go back there and take a look at the whole setting for this. I was amazed. I, this is one of those stories you think you teach on it more than you do. Uh, it was about 10 years ago we last taught on this story. That's a long time. <laughs> and it's a good story. Most people have uh, Second Chronicles chapter 20 pretty much memorized. In fact, uh, a lot of people go into, into fights with this completely in mind and think that everything about this will apply to their situation and get in trouble. Because not everything about this situation will apply to you. And you have to be careful. So we'll look at that and see why that might be. Now in chapter 1, it happened after this. Now after this is chapter 19. In chapter 19, we review all the reforms that Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat came to the throne, did a whole lot of reforms, brought people back to the things of God. And so it was after this. Now, what would you think if you had a country and they were following in a way that was idolatrous, they were following in a way that was wrong, 
and Jehoshaphat comes along and steers them into a good direction, how many of you think God would look favorably upon that? Anybody think that God would look at that and say, man, I am mad now. But he, he wouldn't do that. But it's, it says that after that, after something that occurred that all of us agree God would be pleased with and God would like. After that, it happened after this, that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them beside the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. So they've done all these reforms and then all of a sudden, all these nations from on the other side are, are coming against them. Now how many of you would get mad at God for this? Man, I'm, we've been working hard to get rid of all that idolatrous stuff and all that false stuff and bring in the right stuff and turn our worship around, make a true worship to God and this is the thanks we get. We get a multitude of people coming from over the sea who's, deci- who's decided they want to destroy us. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, well, I would never think that. <laughs> Have you ever had a revelation in your life? Turned your life around? Did something? God showed you do this, make this change. He made that change. You were going in a great direction. It was tough going, but you know you, you went that way and and then all of a sudden, you get a report from the doctor. All of a sudden, you get something happen on your job. All of a sudden, your bank account. All of a sudden, something with your house, with your car. Some kind of crisis, some kind of disaster, some kind of thing comes up you weren't planning on. And the first thought that probably comes to your mind is, God, why does this happen now? Why not when I was being rebellious? Why not when I was in outside of the will of God? Why does it happen when I'm turning my life around? Why does it happen now? And see, that's not a thought from God. That's not a thought from your spirit. That's a thought right from the pit of hell. And what he's trying to do is get you to question God. Does God really care? Does it really matter what you do? Has God really said all those kind of things will, will come up? And it says that Jehoshaphat feared. Now, don't get on his case being a great man of faith and power. Have you ever faced something that when it first came upon you, it caused fear? But he did exactly what he should do. In this state of fear, he goes before God. He gets the nation. Nation, we got to seek after God. This whole thing is affecting all of us. we got to seek after God for this. In verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, why have you brought this terrible thing upon us? Have we not been doing good things for the kingdom of God? Why is it that you would send this multitude out to destroy us? Are you not happy? Does your Bible not read that way? It doesn't? Then why do we apply that to our regular living? Look at what he prays. Let's read it right this time. 
O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Now, if you've ever been in a similar situation where a crisis came, is that what your prayer sounded like? Don't answer. Or did it sound more like the one I said first? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Any doubt in that voice? You will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and the children stood before the Lord. Isn't it interesting that in most of Israel's history, when they face something like this, such as coming to the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them, such as coming to a place where there's no water, some coming to a place where there's bitter water, coming to a place where there's no food, coming to a place where there's a multitude against them, whatever it was, whenever they faced these things, what did the children of Israel do? They complained. They grumbled. They were ready to kill Moses. They were ready to set up new gods and head back to Egypt. But they're not ready to do that this time. One of the few times in Israel's history where they don't do it. They don't bicker. They don't complain that we know of. There may have been some people in there who did, but we don't hear of any of it. So apparently they were either the minority or what they did was inconsequential. They don't declare their own demise. Didn't the children of Israel before always declare their own demise before it even happened? They don't blame God. Now, to understand this, I don't think this is in your outline, but you can pray about a problem and not succumb to those entanglements. Jehoshaphat is a good example of someone who prayed about a crisis, prayed about a problem that created fear inside of him and did not succumb to any of those things. He didn't complain. He didn't doubt God. He went back into the Word and he said, this is when you came through us before. I know you'll come through for us again. You have a covenant with Abraham. We're drawing upon that covenant. Now, if they reacted the way many people before them did, would they be considered thankful people? Would they be thankful people? No. Did you see the children of Israel at any time in their wandering in the wilderness as thankful? They're always complaining. Always I don't have this. Well, we got plenty of bread, but we don't have any meat. So we're upset. Well, we don't have any water. We're going to die. You brought us out here to die. Were there no graves in Egypt? All those kind of things that they would say. They were not a, a thankful people. Now, these folks, they seek after God's help. That certainly is a good thing to do. Now, I about 10 years ago when we went over this, I gave you this quote. I looked for it again. I still can't find it. I don't know who said it. I didn't say it. Somebody else did. I wrote it in your, 
your notes 10 years ago. I wrote it in this way. I, or actually about 11 years ago. But anyway, I wrote it in this way and I wrote it in there for you again, just like it was. I still can't find it. I did a search on Google. You know, there's 11 more years to try and find it. I did a whole search on there and there's nobody who said it. So, but somebody did. I just don't know who it was. But someone once taught, there is no place between being thankful and being unthankful. There is no place between being thankful and being unthankful. In other words, either you are thankful or you are unthankful. There is no place in between. I'm not saying that there is a place in between that you shouldn't be. If, how many, anybody ever play tennis? Two, three people. All right, three people. For the rest of you, <laughs> you have made something to them, folks. I used to play tennis a long time ago. And then I became an instructor for tennis for a brief period of time. And so when you're teaching people about tennis, there's, a, there's two places to be on the tennis court. Between those two places to be is what is called no man's land. You better not be caught there. So the two places to be, the first place is behind the white line, behind the service line. You be behind the service line, that's a good place to be. The second place to be is at the net. Any place in between is called no man's, do not be there. The reason for it is clear. If you are anywhere except for at the net or beyond the white line, the opponent can hit the ball at your feet. Now, you don't have to be an expert in tennis to know this. How many tennis rackets can you put on your feet? Absolutely none. The tennis racket is in your hand. The purpose of the opposition is to hit the ball where your hand can't get to it. One of the places is if they can get that ball to bounce around your feet, it is very difficult Sometimes near impossible to get it. You can at times get it, but you've got to time everything perfectly. Sometimes you watch them on YouTube, they'll have somebody who just happens to get one of those balls that bounces down at their feet and they just start swinging and just hit it right and it happens to go over. And But that don't happen all that often. More often than not, that ball goes in a bad direction or you miss it completely because it's called no man's land. You don't want to be in there. Now you can be in there, but you shouldn't be is what the, the idea is. And so when you are back behind the service line, you look for an opportunity, if you want to play that way, that you have enough time to get from behind the service line to the net where the net's protecting your feet. They can't hit it to your, hit it to your feet. But you got to make sure that you have enough time because if you don't have enough time and you're still running to get up there, somebody will hit the ball. And See, that's an area that you shouldn't be. What I'm telling you about this is this is an area that you cannot be. You are either thankful... Or you are unthankful. If you say, well, I'm not very thankful for that, then just tell yourself, I am unthankful. And unthankful people are not people that God can bless. God cannot help unthankful people. Get yourself out of the unthankful zone. Get yourself into the thankful zone. I wrote down a couple of scriptures there for you. Do not be Ephesians. Ephesians. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of 
the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Giving thanks always. What he's telling you is, don't ever be unthankful. Always be thankful. No matter what's going on, stay in a place of a thankful attitude. If things are going bad with your kids, do not become unthankful for your kids. If things are going bad for your spouse, do not become unthankful for your spouse. If things are going bad with your neighbors, do not become unthankful and grumble and complain about your neighbors. You name the relationship, whatever it is, don't be in a place of unthankfulness. Always find things to be thankful for and stay in that area. Don't meditate on the other. First Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. How many times did you rejoice? So if you were ever not rejoicing, you're not there, are you? Rejoice always. Well, I rejoiced 20 hours out of the day. I sleep for three, but you know, one hour I grumble. Nope. That's not going to cut it. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. It didn't say for everything, give thanks. It said in everything, give thanks. Whatever situation you find yourself in, be there giving thanks. Find something that you can be thankful for and meditate on those things. Now, I think I gave you some blank space or you can write as much of this in as you want to, but an effective prayer can acknowledge, um, sorry about that, acknowledge a great, not at, acknowledge a great problem, our lack of ability and even uncertainty in action. Understand this, an effective prayer, it can acknowledge a great problem. You do not have to go into prayer and deny a great problem. You can acknowledge a great problem when you go to prayer and still be where you are supposed to be. Didn't Jehoshaphat acknowledge a great problem? Didn't seem to bother God and he did it. You can acknowledge our lack of ability. Didn't Jehoshaphat acknowledge his lack of ability to take on this multitude? Did God seem upset? He did not, did he? So you can do that. You can even acknowledge uncertainty in action. I can even say, God, I don't know what I am going to do in facing this great crisis. But you see, he may have done that, but he also said, but you're God. And he knew that God could could uh, help them out. So I put this in there. You can write down as much of this as you want. An effective prayer can acknowledge a great problem our lack of ability, and even uncertainty in action, as long as it also contains these things. How great God is. Doesn't Jehoshaphat include in his prayer how great God is? Here's the second thing. How faithful God has been. Doesn't Jehoshaphat acknowledge how faithful God has been? He does. And that our faith in Him is not shaken. Doesn't Jehoshaphat acknowledge that his faith, his faith in God is not shaken? You can acknowledge those things, but make sure that these other parts are present too. Don't just stop there. Go into these other, other areas. Talk about how great God is. Talk about His great faithfulness for you and that your faith in Him is not shaken because of what has gone on. Alright, let's get to the good stuff here. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, 
the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all of you, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. All he has done so far is introduce what he's going to say. He's gotten their attention. Now he says, Thus says the Lord. So now speaks the word that he got. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. This is not him speaking. This is him repeating what God said. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeru, a Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now just for a note, Jehaziel means God sees, or literally El for Elohim sees. God sees. That's his name. That's a great name for a prophet, don't you think? I mean, I don't know if his parents were thinking, this guy has prophet material. <laughs> but if they, if they were, let's, let's name him this. I mean, that name just, that just knocks it out of the park. That is a great name for a prophet. God sees. Now he's not named a prophet. But what he does is in keeping with a prophet's ministry. How many of you probably assume this is not his first time speaking words from God? No one seems to question them, and they're quick to get in line with it. If you had a great crisis in your life, I mean, we're talking great crisis, the nation could be wiped out. Are you going to listen to some novice who has never given a word of prophecy before? Never stood in the office of a prophet? God has never used or spoken to? Are you going to take that person's, person's advice? It'd be this, it wouldn't be as, as severe, but you could understand it. If you were going to open up a business, let's say you were going to go out and open up a bakery. Anybody around here thinking about going up, opening up a bakery? I didn't think so. Oh, we got one right here. Okay. Well, I thought I was trying to get something that we, no one would do. If you were going to go and open up a bakery, and you, I need to go talk to some people about how to open up a bakery. Would you talk to someone who never opened a bakery? How many would make that on your list? You go out to, have you ever opened up a bakery? No, I've never done it. Well, can you give me some counsel as to how I might open up a bakery? Would you do that? We wouldn't do that, would we? Would we go and talk to somebody who opened up a bakery and failed? Probably not. The people you want to talk to if you're going to open up a bakery is someone who is a baker, has a successful bakery, and probably has been doing it for a little while. Those are the people that you want to, that you want to do, that you want to talk with. And, um, I remember a story. How many of you know John Maxwell? Anybody know John Maxwell? I wasn't thinking about this story before, but it came to me now. He, um, way back when he was first starting out in ministry, and uh, getting involved in the in um, becoming a pastor, what he set out to do was he was going to talk to people who were successful in pastoring a church and had some large successful ministries. And so he would call them up and he say, "If you would give me an hour of your time, 
I will pay you a hundred dollars. And so the, he, the, the pastors would, uh, you know, come on out. And so they came on out and they would talk with them. He said not a single one ever took the money. <laughs> but it was so worthwhile for him to get that that he decided that he was going to pay and he would have paid it. He had it there with him to pay them $100 for one hour of their time. Many times the, they would uh, sit and talk and they would go over the, the hour. And uh, they, would be, they would be fine with that. Because they saw this as someone who was valuing what they were saying. But that's who he went and talked to. So when we see this person show up, even though we don't have him in Scripture before, we've got a pretty good idea that he has been used by God in other situations. And when God had to speak to this people, he found him and gave him the word. And he seemed like he did a pretty good job. He delivered the word. Remember, the word of, that we get is about what God is going to do. Or what is coming about. It's about things that are coming. This is what, this is what they're going to do. This is what they're going to help us with. So we have to make sure that we, we get that. So prophecy speaks about what is going to be. God is going to bring this over to you. He's going to say, this is what I'm sending. This is what's coming. This He'll tell you stuff that's not here yet. But to give you the heads up on it. So, if we just take a look at this, I think I put this in your outline for you. Our prophet's gift to the body is to hear the word of God how it comes to them, though, will vary. The, the gift of the prophet to the body of Christ is a gift of one who can hear the word of God. That will differ. Sometimes a prophet will get a word in a vision. Sometimes they will get a word in a dream. Sometimes it is spoken to them. Sometimes they're even caught up into heaven. How they receive can vary, but how it is delivered is much more similar. The prophet's delivery of the word will be a lot more similar than how the prophet receives the word. Now, in contrast to that, a pastor's gift to the body is to understand what he hears from God and communicate that understanding to the people. Not necessarily the word or revelation itself. That's the, the, the role of the pastor. The role of the pastor is to hear the word of God and come to a place of understanding it and then communicate that understanding to the people. That's the role of the pastor. The role of the prophet is to hear the word of God and communicate the word of God to the people. Can you see the difference? Sometimes the pastor may share what the word was, but it does, it's not required, it's not necessary. Very often they won't. They will share the understanding of it. Now, I didn't really plan on ever ever sharing this part with you, but uh, it just seems like I need to share this in order for you to see what I'm talking about in the in the difference that is here. But um, way back when we first had the the uh, the crisis that hit hit this nation, it's to me it's a made up crisis. We've had this same kind of thing happen over and over and over and over and over and over. This is not the first time that a virus has come and claimed a bunch of lives. We've had it happen before. It's just the first time we decided to respond to it in this way. So before that came, this is the word. Now, I don't get words from God in visions. I haven't gotten a dream. 
He hasn't spoken anything audibly to me. I have not been called up into heaven. That's that's not my role in the body of Christ. That's not something that needs to be done. But I I just receive word, and I I know the difference between God showing me something and God telling me something in my spirit. And so these words came to me when this crisis came up. When it came, the understanding did not come. This is where there's a difference. Here's what, here's what was spoken to me when this thing first came on. Do not do anything more than is required. Now, I didn't understand that fully, but I operated in a way of understanding that I had. Now, many of you may be able to recall this. Some of you I, I helped pull into that, that pool. But uh, there was a time, Keith, I would call him up. Uh, other ones I would call up and say, yeah, here's the governor's order. And I, would, I studied the governor's order because, you see, the word was, do not do anything more than is required. Now, I heard that in a different way than I heard it later. The first way I heard that was, whatever's required, do it. So I set out to find out exactly what was required. And I spent a lot of time reading what the governor put out. Now, what is really required? What is suggested? What is it that we really have to do? And I tried to keep us in line with what was required. Until it dawned on me, and I went over that word again. This is what the word. See, you have to separate the word and the interpretation. The word was, do not do anything more than is required. It finally dawned on me, now hold on a minute. Nowhere in that word was I instructed to do what was required. Oh, now I see. And so I I walked into more understanding of it. I said, oh, we're just not supposed to do anything more than is required. (laughs) And so, you know, we relaxed some things and, and did some other stuff uh, because of the word, the word that I got. I followed after that word. But, see, I had to take the word that was there. My first initial interpretation of that was not exactly what would be my interpretation, my understanding of it later. But the word didn't change. Just how I understood it did. Now, see, we operate here. We have nobody, no one here has masks on. If you wanted to wear a mask and you wanted to come in, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I, I prefer, I ask that you, you know, if you mind... Uh, leaving them home, it's, that's fine. The reason for it was, folks, we just need once a, at least once a week to get out to a place where no one's on us for having masks. We don't see them around. We just get in and we fellowship with each other and, you know, shaking hands or some of you folks will just give hugs to each other and, and you know, we're, we're fine with that. And it's, we just kind of get this one little reprieve out of the whole week. Or if you come out on Wednesday, you get two reprieves. <laughs> And and then we have to go back into the world and operate the the way that they are and the way that they do things and and um, you know in some stores you have to go in you have to have the the mask on and in order to to get done what you wanted to do um, you know me you, you go to a doctor's office you need to get something done you probably have to put the mask on and do and do it and we're not we never taught you to make a fuss and and uh, raise a stink or any of that sort of stuff but uh, it's just nice to have a little atmosphere where we can come together and we can just. Have a little bit of normalcy in the uh, in the world, and that was important. One person uh, when we when we were back in the remember when we were doing the um, resurrection dinner, and we were putting that together. And we ended up delaying it because um, 
Uh, just some folks weren't, we weren't, we weren't going to be able to get as many people out if we did it on that weekend because people in Philly and some other places didn't feel like they could leave their homes without being in, in trouble with the police and so forth. And, and so uh, we didn't want to make that an, uh, an issue. But a few weeks later, you know, we did it. We had the meal here. And uh, one person came up and they asked me, and they said, why are you doing it? No, I mean, not in a threatening way. I don't want to, don't mean to say they, they, they were threatening me or challenging me. or do, They were just asking, just curious, why, why are we doing this now? I said, simply, because we need to. Because the body, the church needs it. And that, that was fine. They said, yeah, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was all that we did with that one. Um, but you'll get a word and your understanding of that word may not be what the understanding is that God has for you to, to gain. Now, the only reason I'm sharing that with you now and, and, uh, and bringing in on some of those things, because understand, there's a lot of times God will speak a word to me. I hardly ever tell you the word because it's not my role. The role of the prophet is to bring you the word. The role of the pastor is to bring you the understanding. So I don't usually bring you the word. I bring you the understanding. That's, that's my role. We need people that operate in the role to just deliver the word. Now, how many, anybody spent some time this week going after some prophets? And just out of curiosity, you just went up on YouTube or just, a few folks who went out there and just began to look at some, some stuff. Now, I did some other ones too. I had some of you folks who kind of gave me some, some, uh, prophets that you listened to and I went out and I did not get to them all. I will try and get to, to some more of them and, and listen to them. I was, um, on on some of them i was i was dissatisfied with the amount of time spent on the word the word given that a lot of times uh, some of the prophets that i found they actually taught all through giving the word ah oh, come on you're you're stepping out of the gift give what is the word i need to know what is the word that god spoke to you because that's their role that's not my role more often than not, God's not speaking a word to me. He's giving me revelation. Most of the time, that's, that's the role I function in. He's going to give me a revelation. My eyes are going to be open to see some things. I understand it. And then I go to teach that understanding or, 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 or do something like that. Once in a while, you know, there are times that God speaks words to me. Um, but the prophet, that's the role. Hear the word. When you get just a pure, unadulterated word from God, you can just meditate on that word for a long period of time and get more out of it. Just like I did with that one that he spoke to me. I can still remember the word. That was the word he spoke to me. That's what I had to, to undergo. There, along the lines, while I'm undergoing that, there are people that got mad at me. And I had to keep going, keep going on with, uh, with what's going on with that. I had to make sure, I tried real hard to make sure that I, if, if people are still bound up in their homes, and I, I know people, not here in the church, I mean, I know people that are still in their homes, haven't left for all this time. And they're, they're uneasy about it. And I told you early on, if you're uneasy about going out, then you're not going out in faith. Stay home, get your faith up, get yourself to the place where you can, you can go out. That's, that's fine. Don't think people that are in that way are more spiritual, less spiritual. Don't ever get that, that um, attitude towards that. Just love folks. Whatever they need to do, it's all right. It's all right. We just want to love on them and, and give them a, a place to go. And, you know, we, we had Facebook going, Facebook Live going before that. And um, we're able to keep it 
go and even improve some things on it to make it even better for them so that they were staying at home they could at least get some get some stuff but staying at home this is not fellowship god wants us to have the fellowship i need to see your beautiful faces i don't know about you but i need to see your beautiful faces i need to see god on you i just need to see it and you know when you cover up your mouth and all that sort of stuff i can't see as much of god on you because you're you're Whole, your smile, your facial expression, these are all beautiful things. These convey things to you. Corinne um, uh, talks about the things at school. I feel, I feel terrible for people in school because you have to try and interact with folks and there's, there's, a, there's a wall there. You, just, you can tell sometimes just from, uh, well, they're frowning. They're not getting it. Oh, they're smiling. Oh, they got it. <laughs> and you can't see that. That's got to hurt your interaction. Just you need that feedback. Do I need to keep teaching this or we got it? And you can't, you can't get that. Plus, I don't know how they all, how these teachers do it with 30 people on the screen. Oh, man, that's, I think it's one thing to be able to do it with them and 30 people in the chairs and stuff like that. 30 people on the screen, my word, I'll tell you. Hats off to them teachers. I'll tell you, their, their, their job was hard before, now it's even more hard. But I appreciate them going out there and doing it. And just, well, this is what we gotta do, this is what we have to deal with, and you're out there doing it. Other, other folks beside her, that are out there doing it, and I just uh, I appreciate them doing those those kind of things. But you see, gotta know you gotta know your gift. A prophet needs to know them delivering just the word is the crux of why God has called them. I listened to one one guy, and uh, I think he was was teaching for about an hour, something like that. It was about an hour, and the word for was about the last five minutes. But I was more satisfied with that because, all right, he taught. Prophets taught. Prophets in the Old Testament, they were teachers. They did teaching. There's no problem to teach. But he did get around to the Word, and then he uh, spoke the Word. I said, well, good. That's, that's what I need to hear. I need to hear, what did God say? Don't give me the interpretation. Tell me what God said. And a prophet is going to operate on a level far higher than I would as a pastor in that area. They're going to get visions. They're going to get dreams. They're going to get visitations. Daniel had angels show up and deliver words to him. Other people had angels show up and they delivered words. Uh, John was called up into heaven. He wasn't just told. He saw it unfold and wrote it down. That's a whole nother level of hearing from God. I'm not at that level. I'm a pastor. But see, there's prophets that are called into the body. This is what they're called to do. The most important thing they can do for us is to tell us what God said. Exactly what God said. If you've been through Ezekiel, as we referred to last time, Ezekiel did that. He told them exactly what God said. And that's what we need to do. That's that's what the prophets need to do. That's what we need to hear. Now look at what he said to them in the in this prophecy. I wrote down, I kind of broke it down for you. This is what he said in the prophecy. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Now we hear that a lot of times in the Word of God, but here we saw this one. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. The battle is not yours, but God's. There's a second thing. The battle is not yours, but God's. Is this word applicable to every battle that Israel faced. It applies to some, but it does not apply to all. 
There are many battles that it was Israel's to fight. And there are other ones in which God fought for them. And they did nothing. This is one of those. Now sometimes you're going to be facing a battle and sometimes it's not yours to fight. And sometimes it is. Don't hang on this word and apply this word to anything that you want to. This is a word spoken about a situation. So this word speaks to this situation. Some of it may also speak to yours. But you cannot assume that because Jehoshaphat didn't fight in his battle, I don't have to fight in mine. You may have to fight. When Joshua went and defeated the the, uh, Canaanites, how many of those battles did he fight? Quite a few of them, right? I mean, Jericho was about the most supernatural one that they had, but a lot of the other ones, they were out there, they were fighting. David, in a lot of his battles, there was fighting that was going on. They didn't just show up and everybody was dead. So here's the first two things. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Tomorrow, go down against them. So there's something they told him to do. You will not need to fight in this battle. Now, a lot of folks like to hang on to this. But if you hung on to that for every situation in your life, then you would negate everything that Paul taught about fighting in the, 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 in the battle that he talked and having the spiritual armor and all that sort of thing. There are times you need to fight. This was not one of them. There have been times in your life you did not need to do the fighting. There's other times you were expected to. All right, we still haven't got to the heart of this yet. Position yourself, stand still, and see. This is the next thing. Now see the, the see the see what the Lord does, all that. But position yourself, stand still, and see. That's what He's telling them to do. Now there's more details to follow. I'm just trying to to pull out the actual parts of what He said to do. Don't be afraid. The battle's not yours. Tomorrow go down. You will not need to fight. Position yourselves. Do not fear or be dismayed. He repeats that. Tomorrow, go out against them. For the Lord is with you. So, twice he repeats, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Be dismayed. Twice he says, tomorrow, go out. Or go down. Two times those things are said. The rest of them is one time. This prophecy told them how to keep their thinking. Don't be afraid. Maintain your thoughts in such a way that fear is not in them. How to view the situation. The battle is not yours, it's God's. This is how you're supposed to view this. This is God's view. God's giving you His perspective on this in the word of prophecy. I need to accept that prop, that um, perspective that He has. He said what they don't need to do, which was fight. You don't need to do that. And where to be tomorrow. So I broke it down basically here into four things. How to keep your thinking, how to view the situation, what they don't need to do, and where to be tomorrow. That was it. Verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So as soon as they heard this, they bowed their heads, they worshipped. Different ones got up and began to praise and to sing praises and to glorify God. 
this is what happened after the word was given. Well, if you're facing a big multitude like that, probably that's how you would go too, right? Verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness. They didn't wait till later in the morning. They, he said in the morning. They rose early in the morning. There's a difference between morning and early in the morning, right? They rose up early in the morning to get out there. They were looking forward to doing this. Does that sound like they're believing what the prophet said? Sound like like that to me. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Now, I was pondering on this for a little bit. Jehoshaphat had the audience of the children of Israel yesterday. Some other days too. And then the prophet came out and he, he delivered this word. They've had all night to meditate on that word. And in the morning when he comes out, this is the first thing that he says. I am pretty sure when we get to heaven, we sit Mr. Jehoshaphat down and we have a conversation with him and say, that word that you wrote there in verse 20, did you get that overnight meditating on the words of the prophet? And I will bet you he will say yes. You notice that we have never heard this word written in the Bible before? But he comes out with it now. Now, Jehoshaphat's no, no phenomenal teacher and he's not a prophet. But he meditated on that word and he probably meditated in such a way to believe it. And this is what he came out with. God probably told him this. God probably... I, I believe that God somehow spoke this to his spirit... And since he's the one who taught this, I'm thinking that he's the best one to tell us what it means. Won't you say so? And when he had consulted with the Lord and with the prophets and with the high priest. I heard a laugh. Does does your Bible not say that? It didn't say. I mean, surely he consulted with the Lord, right? What did it say? What does your Bible say? He consulted with who? The people? He consulted with the people? And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, I'm not going to take a poll or anything. But how many of you have thought that putting the praisers before the army was a directive from God? It was not in the prophecy, was it? He did not get it by consulting the Lord. God did not give him a special word, put the praisers in front. How did he get this? Consulted with the people. How many Christians have ordered their behavior based on this, on what he does here? Let's put the praise first. We're going to go into battle. Make sure you put the praise first. Go out with the praise first. If you go out with the praise first, we'll get the victory. And they, they write that in there like this is from God. And yet we have read very clear, very carefully all these verses and nowhere has God said to do it. 
Not a soul. Nothing from, from God. He didn't say it to the prophet. He didn't say it to Jehoshaphat. You know, he didn't get that overnight. What he got was he consulted with the people. What did he consult with the people? Let me read this verse to you again. Go back to verse 20. So they arose early in the morning and went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, as they went out, they're on their way out. They're getting ready to go on out there and do this. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. You shall be established, believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. I believe fervently that Jehoshaphat got the revelation of what he what is written in Scripture about what to do with the word from a prophet. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Other translations will translate this, believe as prophets and you shall succeed. Apparently the Hebrew word can prosper, succeed, success, uh, flourish, uh, those kind of things would be involved. They want to succeed in where they're going. So when he consulted with the people, and again, we'll have to wait to get to the videotape, but I'm pretty sure it went something along this. Guys, here is the word that God spoke to us. How do we Act in such a way that demonstrates we believe what he said. And one came up with this idea and one came up with this idea and one said, well, if we don't have to fight and if the battle is God's, then why don't we go into battle differently and instead of having the warriors go first, why don't we have the praisers go? And I'll bet Jehoshaphat sat there and says, you know what? That only would happen if we believed the word that he spoke to us. Because if we operate normally, the army would go first. Yes. That would be, that would be so. So they ordered their behavior in such a way as to demonstrate that they believed what he said. Now, before we go on any more into this, do you remember a certain woman in the New Testament who had a flow of blood, an issue of blood? And she said in her, in her heart, she said to herself, I know if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be whole. And so he, she snuck up behind him and touched the hem of his garment and immediately was made whole. And Jesus turned to her and said, My anointing has set you free. Oh, he didn't say that? I'm getting it all wrong today. He said, your faith has made you whole. Was she in faith when she was making the confession? Was she in faith when she was making the confession, I know if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. Wouldn't most of us say that she's in faith when she's making that confession? But Jesus said, her faith made her whole. Right? When was she made whole? When she acted in such a way that demonstrated that she believed the word. 
And can you can you put it any more basic than that? She was not set free, she was not healed until she acted in a way that was in, was consistent with what she said she believed. Does that make sense? Now we're ready to go on. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushments against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah and they were defeated. When did the deliverance begin? The, God, the deliverance that God promised, the deliverance that God said was coming through His prophet the day before. When did it begin? When they began to sing and to praise. So, the deliverance that God promised through His prophet who said it is coming did not start until they sang and praised in the front of the army and went into the battle. That, that about size it up? When did they believe the word of the prophecy? When they were hooting and hollering after it was given? When they set up the praisers and they had the worshipers? After the word was given? Was any deliverance brought along after the word was given when they had the worshipers and the praisers? There was no deliverance the day before. And they had the same worshipers and the praisers going on. But the next day, going in the battle, putting the praisers and the worshipers first, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against them. Until they ordered their behavior in such a way that demonstrated they believed the word they were given, nothing was done. Am I inconsistent in saying that? Is that untrue in any way? That's when it began. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Now I put this in your outline for you. Now when they began to sing and praise, could also read. And when they began to obey. If God was not going to do the deliverance until they began to sing and praise going into battle. Would you not expect that God would have told them that in the prophecy? Shouldn't God have told them in the word of prophecy that when you begin to sing and praise, I will bring the deliverance upon Israel. But he didn't say that, did he? Is there any denying that God expected them to do something? He expected them to do something. So understand this. He gave them a word of prophecy that told them what will be, told them very little of what to do. But the thing that they did that set it in motion was not mentioned at all. 
A word of prophecy comes with the certainty of what is coming. But the interpretation is there for us to figure out what to do. But God expects action on His prophecies that are in keeping with one who believes them. Can you see where that is so? It's not that they put the praisers first that brought the victory. You have to get that out of your head about this passage. Because that's been ingrained in us for how long? What they did was they acted in a way that was consistent with believing the prophet. The words that the prophet spoke. I am not telling you that this is the only way they could have done it. But it is one way and it was successful. There were probably several other ways that they could have done this and demonstrated their belief in what the prophet said. And once they acted in that belief, it would have begun. Just like the woman with the issue of blood. She's believing, as far as we can see, she's got faith, she's believing, she's believing, she's believing. She's got the great confession. But until she acted on it, she didn't have that healing. And until they acted on what God said, they didn't get it. Verse 24, So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the ground, fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry. Who brings jewelry into a battle? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I go and play with my grandchildren, and I take some stuff off. But they go into battle with jewelry. I don't understand that. But they did. And so when they saw it, they went up to those dead bodies and they took off the jewelry. More than they could carry away. More than all the people of Israel who went down in the battle could carry away. That's how much they went into battle with. All this spoil. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Three days they had to make trips out to the battlefield. Gathered up all the stuff that they could. And then they come on back. Now the first time, you know, maybe you come out there, you have your pockets full. Right? And you, you get some, uh, maybe I might have a bag. Maybe maybe you stopped at the Wawa. You got one of the Wawa bags. You know, you put some stuff in there. I don't know. You got a few little things and you come on home with that. But when you go back for the second trip, how many of you know you are not going with the same thing you want? You're going with some wheelbarrows. I want some horses. I want some donkeys. I want some carts. And you're going out there with some stuff because the purpose now is not going out to the battlefield. Now the purpose is going to the spoil field. And so when you go out to the spoil field, you don't need the swords and the shields and all the other stuff that you would have brought. What you need is Carts and wheelbarrows and buckets and whatever else that you can get that you can carry. So they go out there the second time with all this stuff. Fill it up and bring it back. And there's still more. So they go back a third time with the carts, the wheelbarrows, the buckets. And they fill them up again. They load down the horses. They load down the donkeys. And they bring all that stuff back. They were looking at total annihilation And God turned it around to abundant prosperity. 
This was good. And I'll bet you there were some people that stayed behind when they went into battle who came along on the second trip and helped carry some stuff out. So when it says they made three trips, don't think it's three times whatever it is they got after the first time. Because I think that second trip blew away that first trip. And then the third time they just went in and mopped up whatever else they didn't get quite get. And on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place was called the valley of Baraka until this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem which Jehoshaphat and, with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments, harps, trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to want to go against a nation that they don't even have to fight against. You just die. So that whole situation turned around because they believed the word of the prophecy and then they acted on it. The prophecy is given without instructions of what to do, but with the expectations to do something. God expected them to do something on the basis of what was prophesied. And when they started to do something, even though God didn't say what that something was, they began to do something. Then deliverance came. Now the word delivered here was a true prophetic word. It was given to a prophet and in a prophetic way. It said what was coming, but not necessarily all that you were supposed to do. They used faith in the word to determine what to do. That's how they came to that conclusion. They consulted with people. Well, what would be consistent in us doing something in line with what would be a believing action? The course of action, as, as I said, was a right one, but it may not have been the only right one. Now, you remember that Elijah got a plan from God? No rain. Remember God said it will not rain on the earth? But that didn't occur until something happened first. Something had to happen before that drought hit the earth. And what was it? Elijah had to declare it. Because Elijah gets out there and he says to the king, King Ahab, it will not rain on the earth except at my word. Because he had that from God. And he didn't, we didn't see him sweating it out. Well, what happens if that doesn't uh, hold out? What happens if the devil gets in there and sends out a, a storm cloud? He didn't concern about that at all. Same thing with ending the drought. He had to declare that word. And he said, it's coming. Even after he said, the rain is coming, what did Elijah have to do? He went up on the mountaintop and he prayed. The Word of God says in the New Testament, he prayed earnestly that it would rain. Then it rained. But we know that he prayed earnestly and sent the servant away. And the servant came back and said, nothing there. And he prayed earnestly again. And he sent the servant away. And the servant came back and nothing, nothing yet. How many times was the servant sent back? Seven times. 
If God wanted to do it, if Elijah had declared it, why does he got to pray so much? You ever wonder that? Elijah declared it as a word of the Lord. A prophecy by a prophet. But it did not occur and still, until he did what he needed to do, which was to, he had to pray for the rain. And he prayed earnestly that it would rain. And it rained. It rained a whole lot. Now, we said all that to get to this. <laughs> That's a whole lot of stuff to, to say to, to get to. We've got a whole lot of prophets that are going around speaking things about our situations. We've had ones that want to speak out about the, the health crisis that's come across our nation. We've had some that come out and they want to speak about the economic things that are coming across our nation. We've had some that have spoken about the election. We had some that came out and they spoke about Trump before. We had some that would, would come out and they would speak. And you'll have people on different sides, just like you had in the days of uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where false prophets were coming up and saying, you will be free of Babylon. Well, while Jeremiah and Ezekiel were saying, you will not be free of Babylon. <laughs> Don't operate that way. That's what he said. And so he had two schools of thought. And some people operated their behavior in the school of thought that said, God is going to deliver us. And the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel and probably others would say, do not operate according to that. If you operate according to that, you will die. And they did. Operator going this way. Submit to Babylon. You're going to be in captivity for so many years. They didn't know 70 at the time. Daniel found out later on it was 70. Jeremiah said it was 70, but apparently people just couldn't see that. There are prophets who have spoken about this election. They have spoken about things that have gone on. And a lot of times the, the state of the Christian mind is, well, whatever God wants will happen. And folks, that is not operating according to Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20, which says, Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. What constitutes belief in the eyes of God? Action born of the prophecy. This is not the only place in the word of God where this is. I will show you some others. This is not the only place. But this is one that's very familiar to you. And I'm sure that you have come out with a certain way of thinking on this. I want you to see that the way our normally we think about this is not right. You must, as a believer, have behavior that is consistent with the word that comes from God. And you do not have the right to determine, well, I like this word better. You need to find out what is the word from God and side yourself with that. Order your behavior that way. If you do, what does the word of God promise for you? You will have success. Your way will prosper. If you don't, if Jehoshaphat and the people decided we are not going to believe the words of this prophecy and we are not going out to battle, we're not going to put praisers first. We're not going to put praisers anywhere. What would have happened? That multitude would have come over and wiped them out. Because when they did what they said they were going to do to be in line, 
That's when it occurred. Now you got people on there. I've, I've never seen it more so than this one. You got people out there and they're not on the Trump train or they are on the Trump train. You're going to have that going on. You know, way back when this election first was going on in 2016, I was not on the Trump train. I was on the Herman Cain train. I, I loved Herman Cain. He is the best candidate I never had a chance to vote for. <laughs> oh, I so looked forward to him coming to Pennsylvania and for the election to get, I wanted to check his, his, his mark. He, he kind of stunned me a little bit first when I heard some of the things he wanted to do. I said, well, that doesn't sound, oh, that's, I mean, that's really different. And I began to think, you know what? That would work. <laughs> that would work. He just would, he would have blown the field away and how he was going to take care of some problems. I just loved what he said about problems, uh, how he was going to take care of it. I could not wait to pull the lever for Herman Cain. I still follow him. Oh, up until he, you know, he just died recently, but I still was, uh, following all the things that he said. Just, just love the wisdom that came out of the man and the things that were going on. It was just, just great. But I, uh, I had a second choice after that. After he dropped out of the race, I had a second choice. And I was all up on that, on that one too. And then, you know, not only did Herman Cain fall out of the, the race, other ones did. And by the time we got to Pennsylvania, you know what? I only had one person that I could vote for. That was it. I think there was a few other people in the ticket, but there's no way I was voting for them. There was absolutely no way I was voting for them. Uh, so uh, I got on that. Now, now when I, when that first happened, Trump, he, he was not my ideal candidate. He is not a conservative. I am a conservative. I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. I identify myself as a conservative. If you don't know what that is, I'll tell you later on. But I am a conservative. I want to find the candidate who lines up most with that. I don't care what side of the ticket they're on. I want someone who, and I, I can tell you exactly what those beliefs are, and I want to find somebody who, who lines up with those things and does it, because I think they are biblical. Not just good, I think they are biblical. That's why I follow them. That's why I look for them in a the candidate. But when Mr. Trump got into office, he did more things in line with a conservative than any president before him in my lifetime. And I've told you some of the things that he took on. He took on some of the debt things we were doing with China, some of the bad deals that were going in business. There were things that went on with China back into the Reagan days. I told you, I've told you, if you've been around here long enough, I told you, I was shocked that those things got past Reagan. I thought he would have taken them to task and, and, and undid. And they've been there since then. And this is the first president who took them on and wiped them out. Took out those things that were in... I'm not going to go over all what they were. But there were things that were there. I know that there were prophets that were going on. They were speaking these things. I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to them. Maybe I should have. But I didn't. I'm not telling you that you need to get on for one candidate or another. I'm saying you need to hear what God says and get on His side. More so than any other time in history. And I think we say that just about with every election. Because every election, the, pro- the forces of evil are getting stronger and the forces of good are getting weaker. I see that. I know that. Every time I'm going to God in prayer, I says, Dear God, I really just want to get out of here. I want the rapture to happen. Evil is taking over. And I don't see that we have enough to fight against. I told you before, this is the first president I have ever witnessed in my life and I can even go back in the history books and look at a few before this is the first one ever that has ever fought against the spirit of Antichrist I don't mean didn't give into it I mean fought against it 
Every single other president, Republican and Democrat, has given in to the spirit of Antichrist, that influence, and has gone in that direction. I could tell you how, I could show you where, I could show you what, all the different things about it. Each one of them, I could tell you. I've never seen anybody fight against it. This one fought against it. I know there were things in his past. He said some stuff. If you ever said anything 25, 30 years ago that you don't regret, I don't think your memory is doing so well. I know that he regrets it. I know that his born-again experience was after all that stuff. And if you don't want to believe that he's born again, that is up to you. That is fine. But you've got a lot of people that are prophesying about the theft of this election. And I hear Christians that are speaking about this and are saying, there is no theft. Just need to... And born-again Christians saying, just need to go on and just accept it. Interesting that the same people didn't accept the, re- the results from 2016 for four years. It's interesting that the people on the other side, on the basis of one overheard phone call and a second-hand report of it, impeached the president who will ignore video footage and eyewitness testimony, affidavit after affidavit after affidavit, and will ignore all that. That's not consistent with me. Now, if you want to get on the side and say, I'm going to believe the prophecies that are against Trump or against this election being being whatever, if you see the hand of God there, then by all means, go for it and have behavior that's consistent with it. I do not go that way. Now you say, well, Pastor, you're getting political again. No. If you don't think that your beliefs are going to impact the way that you live in this life, then you don't have the Christianity I thought you did. It needs to impact how you are in this life and what you pray. And if you're just going to sit back there on the sidelines and let whatever happened happen, shame on you. Because prophecy, one of the things that it should do is enlighten you to help you to pray. I pray continually every day on this thing. Father God, if there was irregularities, if there were things that were done illegal, not only, this is how I pray for it, not only bring them to light, have the people behind it be exposed and punished. Because up till now, folks, illegal things have been going on and nobody's been punished. If no one gets punished, why in the world are they going to stop? It needs to stop. Now, I'm not, I don't beat this home to you every, every time we get together, but this is, this is huge. This is where we live. This is what's going on around us. You need to know how to decide on it. A word of prophecy spoken about the election, about a virus, about an economic situation, about spiritual matters, a word of prophecy will be spoken. You are going to decide, is that prophecy from God or not? If it's from God, you need to order your behavior in such a way that you pray and you act in consistency with what the prophecy said. Otherwise, you are not believing. And tell me again, when did God start to work for the children of Israel? When was it? When they acted in a way that was consistent with believing the word of the prophet. Understand this. Nowhere in Scripture, up till 2 Chronicles chapter 20, nowhere in Scripture did it ever say, put the praisers first. They did not do this because of obedience to Scripture. They did not do this because of obedience to the word of the prophet. 
in, in, in that sense that this is what he said to do. They did it to be obedient to behavior that was consistent with believing the word of the prophet. When I get to heaven, I want God to be able to say, you ordered your behavior consistent with the words I spoke through my prophets. That's what I want him to be able to do. So when we get on these things, we, we look at these situations that are going on in the election. Don't get tired up. Don't get fed up. Don't get in fear. Please don't get in fear. How many times was it in that one short prophecy? How many times did he say, do not fear? Two times. Only two things were repeated. That was one of them. Do not fear. Don't get in fear. I'm not going to be in fear if the election goes in a way that I don't see that it should go. I'm not going to get in fear. I'm not going to say, well, all is lost. God can't help me out. God can't bless me anymore. No, God has blessed me under the hands of ungodly presidents and will continue to bless me under the hands of any godly president as well. Because my blessing comes from being in God. But what I got to make sure that I do is submit myself to God. So I need to order my behavior in line with those that I know. These are, these are speaking the word of, these are speaking the word of God. Now I've listened to a lot of different prophets this week just to make sure to get ready for, for some of the things that are going on here. I listened to some of them. Some of them aggravate me. I will tell you that some of them aggravate me. It's just like, oh man, I gotta sit here and listen to this thing. <laughs> I, I told you before, you don't have to like, you don't have to love the prophet. But you gotta, you gotta weed out that message is there. And it'll help you out. It will help you. Now, you may be on the side, Pastor, I think you were all wet. I think that you have sided with the wrong side. And that's fine. But you see, it's my role as your pastor to tell you what I see. It's your role to decide which side you're going to come down on. But if I don't tell you what I see, then the way that you go is on me. Remember that teaching from the book of Ezekiel on the watchtower and the watchman? Yeah. I take that responsibility very seriously. I will tell you. I will not argue with you. I will not try and pull you into seeing things the way I do. If you want to see them differently, that's fine. That's all right. But you got to go with what's in your spirit. See, I know I look at a person and I may not like all the things that are about their personality, about how they present the word or what they do, but I can recognize the hand of God. God, I can see your hand on that person. All right, I'll go with it. I'm, not, I'm going long here. But I don't know. <laughs> we got food afterwards, so hopefully that'll, that'll help us out. How many of you were here in the last time we did the end times class? How many people were here for that? All right, couple, some of you. There was some, that last time we did the end times class, uh, how many remember, I, I never talked about this. You ever, did, I, did anybody here, I never talked about how I changed the end times teaching? A couple of people, some of you remember that? Some, how many people don't remember that? Totally changed the end time teaching. Anybody not remember that? I don't have to go over it. I can go past this. Y'all remember? Oh, you don't? Okay. I'm saying yes. Go ahead and do it. No, I don't. <laughs> All right. Try and buzz through this real quick. I had always taught that Rome was the kingdom in, uh, in certain parts of Revelation and the kingdom in Daniel. Always taught it was in the kingdom in Daniel. I knew there was an inconsistency with it, though, in that the kingdom, the last kingdom of Daniel, it said it was different from any other beast, and it destroyed everything in its path. And it's always been attributed to Rome. Now, here's a key about the book of Daniel. 
all the kingdoms of Daniel. Daniel predicted five kingdoms because two were before. All the kingdoms of Daniel had their capital at one point in history where Daniel resided, which is Babylon. All of them did. Somehow they all made Babylon their capital for at least a period of time. Greek, the Greeks did it just towards the end and then they, they fell and, uh, but Rome never did. Rome never uh, made Babylon their capital. And so that was always the thought that when Rome is revived, that Babylon would be the, um, would be the capital of the new revived Roman Empire. Except really, Rome never fit the bill for Daniel's kingdom. And I knew it, but that's the only thing I had. So I was listening to this guy and, um, uh, I, I, you know, every time I go into end times, I try and feed on new stuff. And there was this guy out there, and I was trying to read on his, read his book and, and go through the stuff that was in there. He was frustrating me. I shared it with the class. He was frustrating me. I didn't like the guy. I didn't like how he presented the stuff. He was, he threw out these questions and he wasn't getting to them. And I, I wanted him to get to these questions. I said, I want to, I want to hear what your answer is on this. And he's going over stuff and it's like, oh man, you're frustrating me. This is, this, uh, just he's really aggravating me on the inside. And so you got to ask yourself, why in the world suffer? You just shut the book, close it up, and go away. But in my spirit, I knew there's something here, something I've got to get, and I've got to, and I persevered. I went on through. Man, it was tough persevering through this, through this thing because he was just was going over stuff. That said, oh man, you're frustrating me. Finally, he got to the gist, the gist of it, and he said the revived the revived empire is not Rome, and he said what it was. And once he said what it was, and he gave the evidence, says, doggone if he's not right. Oh man, he is right. Rome is not going to be revived. And I, I totally scratched that whole thing out of the outline. If you were here in the class, you know, I told you, I'm scratching this whole thing out. I taught it wrong. <laughs> I taught it fervently, but I taught it wrong. I was wrong in all that. I've now got this light on this thing. And this is, this is absolutely the case because now this, this fits all the scripture. It all comes together. And, um, and if, uh, well, we're, we're not going to try and get into all of it. But anyway, changed the whole thing out, had more consistency with it. But you see, down in my spirit, I knew the hand of God is on what this message is. I know, I know, I can see the hand of God on this message. He has frustrated me. He has aggravated me. I don't like this guy. <laughs> I don't like his book. I don't like how he writes. <laughs> but I made through it, got it just because of that. That's what you have to stick with. When you see the hand of God is on this, I don't like the message. I don't like where it's going. But I see the hand of God on it. I've got to acknowledge that. I've had that times with me before too. You know, I, I may be on the, on the side of, I, I believe that the hand of God is with Trump. That does not mean that I sit there and listen to all his speeches. In fact, folks, I don't think I've listened to a single speech of his yet. He frustrates me when he, te- when he speaks. It aggravates me. It's just like, I hear him and say, no, I can't listen to this anymore. I just can't listen to it. Now, other people love, and I'm not saying you can't love what, there's people out there that do. I just don't. I don't, I don't like hearing, you know, just one of those, just simple things. He doesn't finish his sentences. He sometimes doesn't finish three or four sentences in a row. It frustrates me. Finish the sentence! <laughs> but anyway, I don't always like the topic that's there. But, I can see the hand of God on somebody. And that's what I'm going with. Now you may not, and just know, if you go in another direction, I'll still love you just as much. It won't phase me one little bit. Doesn't. Just doesn't phase me. My only responsibility is to tell you what I see from God. 
But here's a, here's what I want you to get. I don't want you to. I don't care if you were anti-Trump and now you're going to be. I, I don't care about any of that. What I want you to see is if there's a word of prophecy given, and it has come from the throne room of God, and God has spoken it, then I am supposed to hear it, and I need to order my behavior based on it. And if I am going to come to a place of prosperity, success, whatever word you want to use in there, I have got to have behavior that is ordered in line with the prophetic word. Now, if your prophetic words that you like and you feel that God is with are on the other side, then you're going to have to order your behavior behind that. Because until you order your behavior behind the prophetic word that comes from God, they won't have that success. Now, first off, it has to be from God. If you were one of those who was not on the Jeremiah train, was not on the Ezekiel train, and laughed at them and said, no, you don't have the word of God. You did not prosper, even though you did things in line with what the prophet said. Because he was a false prophet. First thing, you have to have the true prophet. You have to have the words that are spoken. See this little card right here? These are some special notes that I received that you won't get today. We'll get them tomorrow. All right, next, next time. And uh, we'll get on there. Just, it just it was way too long. But um, the, the only reason I get on this topic is simply because of this. If we want to see the success, then we have to do what they did here with Jehoshaphat. And until I have behavior that is consistent with belief in the word that came from the prophet, that verse will have no power in my life. I have to have behavior that's consistent with the word, the word of prophecy that is given. I have to use my spiritual discernment to discern, to discern, is this person of God or against God? And your flesh cannot tell. Because my flesh could not tell that that author who was writing that book, my flesh was screaming at me, not of God, not of God, not of, put the book down, get away from the, <laughs> get away from it. It was screaming at me to do it. I didn't do it because in my spirit, no, there's something I need to get. And that's what you need to have. You've got to develop your spirit that way. Your flesh may not like certain people and the things that they do, but your spirit will say, yeah, they're, they're all right. You know, there's people out there on, on YouTube that teach, that prophesy, that uh, minister in, in different ways, and you may not like it. I'll bet you if we did a show of hands, how many people liked the way Benny Hinn ministered? There's some people who say, yeah. And other people say, uh-uh. And you, probably, you won't go back this far, but if I said, how many of you folks liked the way Catherine Coleman ordered her service? I'll bet you that most of the people who would say, oh yeah, uh-huh, were never there. Because she'd spook you. She was downright weird. And she did things as spooky. It seems like she could. How many like Smith Wigglesworth? Nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> if you were ever in one of his services, you would be offended. You would be greatly offended and wonder how God could heal anybody. Because he did some stuff I've heard, I've not seen. I've heard from people who were in the meetings the stuff he did. And I would have a problem with it. <laughs> but he got results. 
I'm telling you this. There's people out there in the body of Christ and they will drive you crazy. But God's hand is on them. I got to recognize the hand of God. And even though there's ministers who do things that I think, well, I wouldn't do that if I was in their shoes. Is God's hand on them? Is God using them? Are people getting born again, set free, minister to? And knock it off. As the Lord had said to somebody else, stop judging my servants. They're my servants. I'll take care of them. Anyway, we're going way over on all this sort of stuff. And we still have communion to do. Do you mind if we keep on going with that? Archers, come on. They probably gave up on me. No, we're still, we still got some communion elements around. Thank you. Would you all stand up with me as you receive the elements? Remember Jesus. He was sent here on this earth. How many people liked him? How many people liked the ministry of Jesus? Put it to you this way. How many people were at the cross on Jesus' side when he was being crucified? Weren't that many, huh? Yeah, why was that? How many people were around the roads who were screaming nasty things as he carried the cross down the road? How many people were hurling all kinds of abusive language when he hung on the cross? How many people said he is not of God? How many people could not see the hand of God on what he did? How many know that even John the Baptist got to a place where he was wondering and he sent to Jesus and Jesus said, Go tell them that the blind are healed, the lame walk, In other words, look at the results. I'm telling you this, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ that you are not going to like. But they're doing what God called them to do. I think one of the greatest examples, I don't know that we're able, we might get to it. One of the greatest examples, one of the best comparisons I've ever heard was Jehu. Jehu's personality would rub you raw. You would not like his personality. You would not like how he accomplished the things that he did for God, but you cannot deny that when he accomplished things for God, he did it wholeheartedly. He did it well. Fortunately, he didn't follow God for very long. And eventually, he went in the way the other kings had gone. But this is an opportunity for us to get out of our flesh and get into our spirit. I tell you what my spirit is telling you, telling me, because that's my responsibility to you. I still give you total freedom and expectation to seek after God and to go the way that your spirit is leading you and your spirit is directing you. But I will always walk in love with you, just like you should walk in love with each other. And if I come over your house and you have a sign on your lawn for some candidate that I don't like, I'm still going to love you. I run around our neighborhood. There's a lot of, there, there were a lot of signs. I'd still talk to the people who had the signs up that I didn't like and I'd talk to the people who had the signs up that I did. 
Because I got to learn to make sure my, I let my flesh get in the way. Don't let your flesh get in the way. As Jesus stood on the cross, many people cussed him out. Many people didn't see the hand of God that was on him. Many people argued when Pilate wanted to put the sign up, this is the king of the Jews. But the hand of God was on him. And we read over the Gospels and we can see all through there, how can they not see the hand of God on this man? But they didn't. All you can do is make sure that you order your behavior. Don't reject those that God has put in place. And don't come against those that God has anointed. It doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean that you had to hang on their every word. It just means you recognize, God, I see your hand here. I hear the words of your prophet. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'm going to act in line that is consistent with those words. Jesus' body hung on that cross after it had been beaten, whipped, abused, but he took those for us. He died on the cross, folks, for everyone. He died on the cross for those people that you like. He died on the cross for those people that you despise. He gave his life for them. God gave his life for them. I better be careful how I order my thoughts and some of those people that are out there. Be in a loving way. Let's eat together and remember the body of Christ that was beaten for us. On that cross, it was stained with his blood. His blood stained the cross. It stained the ground underneath the cross. It stained the place in the palace where he was beaten. It stained the roads that he walked to the cross on. His blood was all over that city. And as he hung there on that cross, that blood just continued to drain out of his body. And that blood was given for you. As we drink together, let's remember that his blood is all we need for the forgiveness of sins and nothing we need to add. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Father, I thank you for sending your son. How hard it must have been for you to look on and see your son being killed, beaten, abused, cursed at, and all the while having the power to stop it. But your love for us, let it continue. You have a love for your son and you had a love for us. How it must have hurt you to watch him, the one you love so, on that cross. But you allowed your love for us to permit that to happen. We have to love your word, love what you want to accomplish. 
So much so that even the things that our our own selves love or like, we can put to the side. I'll table this, I'll put this to the side because I want to see what my God wants to bring about. I thank you for bringing it about through us. Thank you for your words of prophecy that you speak to the church today. Churches in the past, those that are written in the word that we can learn from. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.